So this morning, our passage is going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Um, And the sermon is entitled, Wherever You Are. And I'm actually going to start in verse 1 and read through uh, verse 16. And so, now when he saw the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So if you were with us last week, um, you were a part of a very unique service. We heard stories and caught a glimpse of experiences as she worked with girls that were victims of the sex trafficking industry in India. She shared testimonies of girls whose lives have been transformed by God. Girls who have experienced unimaginable horror and evil. And I was sitting in the pew and I couldn't help be moved and I was crying and I don't cry very often. But to share with us what God has been doing in her life and through her is inspiring. And I hope that you walked away last week feeling inspired. Saying, if she can do that, surely... I can serve the Lord as well. And so it's obvious God is being glorified through her and her ministry and what she's doing. It's obvious that she has answered God's call on her life to be a missionary. But I was also left with a couple questions last week as I walked away because I caught all this information. I was moved. I was inspired. But how did that apply to me in Firth, Nebraska? How does that apply to what God has called me to do? And in fact, I began asking the question, how, what is God calling me to do? And how do I glorify God right here, right now, in this stage of life? And after the service, um, our White Earth team, months ago, we decided that our theme verse for this year was going to be 1 Corinthians uh, 10.31. And it says, so... Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that verse popped in my head last week. And I said, she did it all for the glory of God. And I got to thinking, 
said, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I got to thinking, doing something absolutely incredible in India. Right? She's a part of this huge ministry that is changing and transforming lives, but here I am in Firth, Nebraska. (laughs) You know, and I would venture to guess that I wasn't the only one thinking that. Sometimes we think about our physical location and we say, well, I'm just, you know, a guy from Firth, Nebraska, you know, or I'm just a teacher, you know, I'm just an insurance agent. That's all I am. But the reality of the situation is that whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And I think it's that simple. So how do we glorify God? How do we serve God? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And so that brings us to our first point. Know that you have been called to exactly where you are. I'm convinced of that. That God has called you to exactly where you are. God doesn't call all of us to go to India. He doesn't call all of us to be missionaries. He doesn't call all of us to be pastors. As some of you may be sitting there thinking, Ian, it's easy for you to know your calling because you're a pastor. And, I mean, that's how you serve God. Right. But God doesn't call us all to do this. Okay, God does call us to be a mother, to be a father, to be a grandparent, to be a friend, a neighbor, an employee, an employer, a caretaker. But God also calls us to be the salt and the light of the world. And so often we think to ourselves, as soon as I get to this point in life, well, then I'll be able to serve God better. Well, maybe after my kids get a little bit older and I have a little more time to myself, then I can serve God. Well, maybe after I get this promotion at work, then I'll have more time and I can do it. Maybe after this busy season of life just slows down, then I'll have time to serve and honor and glorify God. We think those things. I'm guilty of thinking those things. But the problem is, with that line of thinking, is that there will always be something else. Always be something else. But what if, guys, what if God has called you to be exactly in the season of life that you are in right now? What if God has called you to be exactly in the season of life that you are in right now? Whether it's going really, really well, and things are great, or whether it's going terrible, and things are really bad. What if God has called you to be there right now? We're so quick, and I'm so quick, to write off our ability to serve God because of the season of life that we're in. If only I had more time. If, and we look at other people and we say, well, maybe if I was where they were at, then I could do what they're doing. Maybe if I get more knowledge about the Bible, then I can serve God. Or sometimes we often say, well, I don't know where I fit in to all of this. And so I don't know if I can serve God. But the cool thing about life is, God, guys, is that God has made us promises in His Word. And we know that God is incapable of lying. The Bible tells us that. And God has promised that He will cause all things to work out for His good and for the good of those who love Him. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you were in a great season of life where things are going well. I don't know if you're in a bad season of life where you're struggling. And you're saying, what's the point in all of this? But I can be confident to know that God has called you to where you're at right now 
Because he has a purpose for you in that. And God has a purpose for everything that he does and everything that occurs. Again, God causes all things to work out for his good and for the good of those who love him. And so our one job in life, guys, is to glorify God in whatever season of life that we are in, wherever we're at. Our purpose on this earth, Isaiah 43, 7, tells us that God created man in his image for his glory. So our purpose on here on earth is to bring God glory. There's a story. I'm going to read this to you because I don't want to mess it up. But it goes like this. A quiet forest dweller lived high above an Austrian village along the eastern slopes of the Alps. And the old gentleman had been hired many years ago by a young town council to clear away the debris from the pools of water up in the mountain crevices that fed the lovely spring flowing through their town. And with faithful, silent regularity, he patrolled the hills, removed the leaves and the branches, and wiped away the silt that would otherwise choke and contaminate the fresh flow of water. And by and by, the village became a a popular attraction for vacationers. Swans floated along the crystal clear spring. Mill wheels of various businesses located along the waters. Farmlands were naturally irrigated, and the view from restaurants was picturesque and beyond description. And years passed by, and one evening the town council met for its semi-annual meeting. And as they reviewed the budget, one of the council members' eyes caught the salary figure being paid by the, to the obscure keeper of the spring. And the accountant said, "'Who is this old man, and why do we keep him on year after year?' No one ever sees him. For all we know, the strange ranger of the hills is doing us no good, and he isn't necessary any longer. And so by unanimous vote, they dispensed of the old man's services. And for several weeks, nothing changed. But by early autumn, the trees began to shed their leaves, and small branches snapped off and fell into the pools, hindering the rushing flow of sparkling water. And one afternoon, someone noticed a slight yellowish-brown tint in the spring. And a couple days later, the water was much darker. And within a week, a filmy, slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks, and a foul odor was soon detected. And the mill wheels moved slower and slower, and some finally ground to a halt and quit working altogether. And the swans left. Soon after, the tourists left. And the clammy fingers of disease and sickness reached deeply into the village. And quickly, the embarrassed council called a special meeting, realizing their gross error in judgment. And they hired back the old keeper of the spring. And within a few weeks, the river of life began to clear up for this village. And the wheels started to turn again, and new life returned to this village once again. So that story, guys, is more than just a fairy tale. I think it's an analogy to the times in which we live today. It's an analogy to our culture. You see, what the keeper of the springs meant to that village is what Christians mean to this world. Okay, we as Christians, we seem weak. We feel unwanted, unimportant, and small to this great big world. But God has designed Christians for specific purpose. And there's this disconnect that's begun to form in our culture. Where our culture has been rapidly moving away from a Christian worldview, 
and is post-Christian, and many are saying is even becoming rapidly anti-Christian. And Christians, by and large, we step back and we say, man, I never thought it would get to be this bad. I hear Christians say that all the time. I hear them say, well, we just need Jesus to come back really soon, which is true. We do need Jesus to come back soon. And one day closer to heaven, and Jesus, you know, we just need God. And that's absolutely true. But I think one of the biggest reasons for the secular, secularization, if I can say that, of our culture, for the sexual revolution that we're seeing, for the problems that we're seeing in our culture, is because the church at large has withdrawn into itself and has been watching from the sidelines for far too long. Maybe our culture has fired the church from being the keeper of the spring of life. Or maybe the church, like the keeper, has become reclusive and unseen by the culture. And people think that they don't need the Christian church. Either way, guys, again, a disconnect has formed. And so, coming to our second point here this morning, know that as a follower of Christ, you carry incredible influence in this world and are God's plan A to take His love and message to the world. We have been assigned to the position of influencing and impacting our world exactly like that old gentleman did for that village in the Alps. Nowhere in the Bible do we get the impression or do we see that Jesus wanted us to live a life of isolation, a life separated from the world. And I think that it's truly impossible to live for God in private because we are called to be the salt and the light of the world reflecting the love of God in the world. Dr. E. Stanley Jones, he's a famous Methodist missionary, author, evangelist. He was asked to name what the number one problem of the church was. And this was years ago. And he replied quickly that the number one problem was irrelevance. He went on to say that three-fourths of the opposition to the church stems from disappointment. And he shared the story of a multimillionaire who said, Brother Stanley cannot convert me. If he cannot convert me, I will sue him. And he said it half in jest, half in truth. And Dr. Stanley said that this is exactly what the world is saying to us. If you Christians cannot convert us, we will sue you for breach of promise. For you promised this, now fulfill it. Show us that you can and will convert us, and there is no hope from any other direction. That's often what the world wants to see. We promise this bigger, this grander life full of happiness and joy and fulfillment and contentment, but we fail to convert others to that. We fail to show them that. We speak of it, but our actions don't follow suit. Simply put, guys, the church has lost its influence in our culture and in our society. And I think it may be because Christians have neglected, at large, have neglected their responsibility to be the salt and light in the world. But I also think when Christians do decide to be the salt and light of the world, the world pays very close attention to them and follows what they do. And so Eugene Peterson, and we're going to read this again, He's the author of the message version of the Bible. And this is a good version of the Bible for me when I don't understand a passage and I want clarity. So I'm going to read this and it says, Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. 
If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? If you've lost your usefulness, and will end, you, you will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. And God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a basket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand, and now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others, and you'll prompt people to open up with God and this generous Father in heaven. I read this and I think, salt and light, really? That's what you come up with? Like, salt is not very appealing. Like, why couldn't we have been sugar or something that tastes good at least, right? But it's salt, of all things. And I think that that's strange, but also when I think about the context and the time period that this was written in and who Jesus was speaking to, it makes total sense. Because in that culture, salt and light carried enormous influence, enormous significance. Salt was the currency of the day. And so when it comes to salt, um, it says you are the salt of the earth. And we think about that and the, there's a, that's a famous phrase that we use. You are the salt of the earth. And we tell people that, hey, if you're a good person, he's the salt of the earth. He's a really good, upstanding guy. Because salt was one of the most common substances in that culture. And Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. Okay, They weren't paid with money. They were paid in salt. And so we think of the term, well, he's not worth his salt. That's where it comes from. And so the word salary that we use today comes from the Latin word salarium, which literally means salt money. All right. So when you say someone's not worth their salt, they're not worth the money that you're paying them. All right. And so salt was used for many things. It was used as a preservative to keep food from spoiling. Um, it was used as flavoring to bring flavor to foods. Um, hopefully they didn't eat cooked spinach because that has zero flavor. Um, that's why they invented, we use salt for cooked spinach. Um, but salt was also used as an antiseptic. And I didn't know this until this week, but newborn babies in that time period were actually rubbed in salt after they were born so that cuts and infections from their birth process would heal. Sounds painful, but salt was there for cleansing out the wounds to bring to fight infection and to bring healing. Salt also creates thirst. You've heard the phrase that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Let me tell you, here's how you make him drink. You give him a salt tablet, and then he'll drink. Alright? So, it's in, in the same way, Jesus made people thirsty for God. And so those are the purposes of salt, to preserve, to bring flavor, to bring healing, and fight against infection, and to create thirst. And guys, we are supposed to model those things. We are called to preserve the world. We are called to bring flavor to the world. We are called to heal the world and to fight against evil and infection. We're called to create thirst for God. Light also, very critical. They didn't have light bulbs and electricity. Okay, so they would light a lamp and it was really hard for them to light a lamp. And so they would put it in a thing of oil and they would light it and put it up on a light stand high up in the room. 
so it would share light with the whole room, the whole house. And when they left, what they would do, they would take a basket that was made out of clay and they would put it over the flame to protect it, to keep it from going out. Okay, And so that's when he say, why would you cover a light? It does no good. That's what it's talking about. And so light is there to dispel darkness. It reveals what can't be seen. It awakens us in the morning. And it warns us of danger that's coming. You think of lighthouses and police lights on the cars. Okay, it warns us of danger in much in the same way. We are called to dispel darkness in the world, to reveal evil, to awaken people to God and to warn them of any impending danger that may come. And so how do we make an impact? Maybe sitting there saying, Ian, God didn't really mean me. He's probably talking about pastors, right? Pastors and missionaries, because those are his called people. Well, no, God did mean you. And I, I don't know if you noticed, but in that passage, it doesn't say you are like the salt of the earth. You are like the light of the world. It says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And there's no option to that. It's a command that Jesus has given us. And so when you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you were then set apart from the rest of creation. And so how do we glorify God? We know that our salvation makes all the difference. Just as salt is different than pepper and light is distinct from darkness, Christians are supposed to be distinct and separated from the world. That is our difference, is our saving faith in Jesus. The Bible tells us that the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. We have received the Spirit of God and have access to the same power and authority that rose Jesus from the dead through His Holy Spirit. And it also says that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That sounds good. Okay, a royal priesthood. And so it's the Christian salvation, you guys, that makes the difference in the world today. It's called holiness. Living a life of holiness set apart from the world. Blaise Pascal, famous scientist, said the serene, silent beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world next to the might of God. So a holy life is the most powerful influence next to the might of God in our world today. And our second point, how do we glorify God? You have to abide in Christ. And this is key. This is critical. Okay? But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. That's pretty harsh. But here's the reality. Salt in its purest form will never lose its taste. Alright? You can take a bowl of salt and set it on the table and come back ten years later and it will still be sodium chloride or salt. It will not change. Alright? It's a very stable compound. The only time it loses its flavor, the only time it changes, is when it's mixed with something else. It could be a number of things. But that is how salt loses its saltiness. And so from this we can see that it's easy for Christians to become diluted and to lose our saltiness or our preserving influence in our world today if we're diluted by our culture. And so know this, that if you are not affecting the world around you, the world is affecting you. 
Okay, if we are not affecting the world around us, the world's in turn affecting us. If we're not salting the world, the world's rotting. John 15 tells us that when we abide in Christ, He will abide in us, and we will produce much fruit, and we will glorify God as a result of that, when we abide in Christ. So, we have to expose ourselves to Jesus and spend time in His Word. We have to be diligent in our prayer lives. A weekly contact with God on a Sunday morning will produce a weak influence. But a daily contact produces dynamic influence in this world for God. Our final point here is to make your work visible to the world around you. Make your work visible to the world around you. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so our influences, each one of your influences, whether great or small, whether far-reaching or not, will be seen. Okay, salt can be tasted, light can be seen, and it takes a lot of work to cover those things up and to hide salt and light. Robert Louis Stevenson, famous author, he was in very poor health towards the end of his, as a child, and one night um, he was quite sick, and a nurse came in and found him with his nose pressed against the glass of a window. Uh, frosty pain, it was snowing outside, and he was looking out the window and he was staring. And the nurse said, child, come away from there. You're going to catch a cold and die. And he kept, she kept fussing at her. He wouldn't budge. He wouldn't move from that window. Kept his nose pressed against the window. And mesmerized, he sat and he watched as this old a man was walking down the road lighting lamps in the street, slowly working his way down the road. And he turns to the nurse and he says, see, look there. There's a man poking holes in the darkness. That's what we're called to do. Poke holes in the darkness. Because wherever there's light, there cannot be darkness. And so that is our responsibility as Christians, as followers of Christ, is to go into the world and poke holes in the darkness. So when we see problems in the world, God has called us as His plan A to transform the world to poke holes in the darkness. Yes, we need Jesus to come back and we are longing for Him to do so. Because that will be a glorious and a wonderful day. But until then, much like the disciples did after Jesus left, they started poking holes in darkness. And they flipped the world upside down because of it. They had an urgency to what they were doing. And I think sometimes we lose that urgency and we say, well... You know, we've got a ton of time and, you know, I don't want to beat that person over the head with the Bible. And when they're ready, they'll come to talk to me. It doesn't work. It's hard. It's uncomfortable because it pushes us out of our comfort zone. But unless we are advancing the light and poking holes in darkness, darkness is growing. And we see that in our culture today. There's no denying that. We are the salt to the earth and the light of the world. Reducing it to anything less than that, guys, is restraining the power and the authority of God. The entire world is supposed to feel our God-given influence and to see the light of Christ impact the world as a result of the life, the holy life that we live. And so know this morning that God has called you exactly 
to where you are for a purpose and for a reason. And that is to be the salt and the light in your world and in your sphere of influence. And this is one of the many reasons, guys, why we are hosting the Global Leadership Summit in August. Is we believe that we have a responsibility to influence our world. That God has called us to be the salt and the light to the world. And as we increase our ability to influence others, and as we equip you to do that, we know that our world will get better, our community will get better, and that you will get better. And so I strongly consider you, ask you to consider attending the Global Leadership Summit. Because we want to equip you to be the salt and light in the world. And so maybe the old keeper of the springs was not seen very much, but his role meant survival to that village in the Alps. Likewise, guys, our role as the salt and light in this world um, is means and points to the eternal salvation of this planet. One day, Jesus is returning, and we're all going to stand before God in judgment, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your family. You're going to stand before God in judgment. And we are called to be the salt and the light of the world. And we know that God desires for everyone to come to a saving faith in Him. But we are not called to save the world. We're called to influence the world and to make a difference. To bring light. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God.